Eudine, welcome. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. So great to have you. And I'm going to start with a big question, but let's go for it. So <laughs> holistic health, uh, holistic health means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So I'm curious from your point of view, how do you think about holistic health? What are the factors that make up holistic health? How do you define it? Well, I find holistic health as taking a look at everything that goes into making you the best possible person. Um, so when many traditionally, when we think of health, we think, well, you're not sick. And so having gone through an experience myself where I wasn't sick, but I wasn't well, I kind of rolled into holistic health. And so it's to me, it's like this. You're looking not just for the absence of illness, okay? So no, I don't have diabetes, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm also looking at your social well-being. I'm looking at the environment that you're currently in. I am looking at your mental health, which is so, so important. I really delve into how you think about yourself because I find that's where most things start. I look into your childhood. I look into everything that really contributes to how you feel, how you act, and ultimately who you are. So can you share a little bit about your personal journey? I would love to. So I'm an emergency physician trained. Okay. So been doing that was about, about 14 years or so. And then I started, then I had my second child and I was working in the ER and I was working like 16 hour days, et cetera, et cetera. And I started to not feel well. So I gained like 90 pounds. I was still struggling to get through. I, and I would go to my doctor dutifully because I tried not to treat myself at that time. I do now. <laughs> at that time, I tried not to treat myself. And ultimately, what I got was your, well, there's nothing wrong with you. And clearly, I was not doing well. I did not understand stress management. I did not understand how to, how my lifestyle contributed to my health because ultimately, what we were taught Inadvertently, I wouldn't say that it was a lesson in like how not to eat well, but inadvertently what we were taught was that your lifestyle was really not that important into, in what was going on. And so when I started to explore that for myself, why was I feeling like crap? Why couldn't I get the weight off? Why wasn't I sleeping well? Why was my hair falling out? Why was I so exhausted? And everybody would say, well, you have a baby, you're exhausted, right? But ultimately, then I started looking, and then I would see honestly the truth that I start seeing when things are going in your on in your life, you start actually seeing things around you that kind of mirrors that to you. And I had to say to myself, I was like, "Are you? What are you going to do about this right now?" And then it really harkened back to my childhood, and so then I decided, you know what, there has to be more to medicine to health than what I'm currently doing. And so I started to explore some stress management strategies. And then that rolled into me getting in with the um, holistic integrative uh, physicians. And then they're like, hey, you want to do some training with us? And I thought, yeah, why not? And ultimately, what I learned there was not medicine. I, I knew medicine. But what I learned there was how what I was doing was contributing to who I was. And I also, I learned the importance of lifestyle. I learned the importance of stress management. I learned the importance of the environment I, I was in. I learned the, 
the impact of all of that. I learned the neurochemistry of that. And that's really what drew me in because the biochemistry of health is amazing. But what I learned and actually was able to link together for the first time was that lifestyle and all of that environment, et cetera, actually influenced our biochemistry, actually influenced our genetics. And then it really started to take hold because it was something that the scientists in me could not ignore anymore. So uh, I'm sure people are saying themselves, who, uh, so many people are, are trying to manage their weight and 90 pounds and, and, and being able to do that successfully is inspiring and impressive. So I'm curious what ultimately worked for you in, in managing your weight. Okay. So ultimately what worked for me was at first starting to understand that it was not really about my weight. Now, as a woman growing up in this current culture, that's really a difficult concept to grasp because we associate so many things with a number and the scale. So ultimately, I had to kind of learn to rethink how I thought about it and started thinking about, okay, I'm not doing this dropping 50 pounds overnight thing. So ultimately, what do I want to focus on? Because I can stay on getting really frustrated and just stuck in that particular place, or I can start doing something else. And so ultimately what worked for me is just wanting to feel better. I said to myself, why don't I just focus on wanting to feel better? Why don't I just focus on wanting to sleep better? Why don't I just focus on like wanting to have my energy improve more? And when I started focusing on those things, what I started to look for were things that would help me to start experiencing those things. So stress management became really important. When I wanted to, when I started to feel better, I started to identify eating in a way that made me feel better. Okay. And I started to identify why it was that I wasn't moving, why it was that I felt so unmotivated. And part of that was realizing that what I was doing was no longer like fueling my soul. Okay. It was no longer, I went into medicine because I, I actually, I envisioned myself initially as a physician, I envisioned myself like actually going to people's homes and sitting down and really having a conversation with them and really getting involved. And what I was doing in the emergency department was great. I mean, I enjoyed it. I, I was an adrenaline junkie, no doubt, but it was no longer fueling who I was. And so ultimately that's when I started to say, you have to do an entire lifestyle adjustment. And you have to learn how to do that in a way that sticks because that yo-yo dieting thing that I did in my twenties was not working anymore. So ultimately, and accepting the fact that it was going to take me about a year or more to lose that weight and keep it off. So essentially there, there was no silver bullet. It was a lifestyle shift across all elements of your life across a mental, physical, spiritual, emotional, environmental, well-being. We say mind, body, green. All mind, body, green, one word, mental, physical, spiritual, emotional, environmental. It was all of that. And it, that really took a lot of acceptance to really grasp that there was not one thing that was going 
to magically do it for me. And believe me, even as a physician, you still always want that one thing. I have pneumonia, I take antibiotics, it's better. So where's that one magical thing? And really kind of leaning into that and understanding that really helped me to move forward. So was there one thing? I'm, I'm curious. It sounds like there were a lot of things, but was there one thing where you look back and said, you know what, this really had a, a huge return on investment for me, or this one thing led to all these other good things? Yes. I think the thing that made the most significant change in my life was understanding the impact that living in a sense of feeling overwhelmed all the time and, and stressed out all the time was having on my health and really learning how to manage stress. I don't really think that you clearly oftentimes cannot change a lot of what's going on around you, but just kind of learning how to how to respond in a way that felt better for me. And so if it's the one thing I did that really started the journey to all of the other things, we're starting to explore how to stay centered and how to really leaning into stress management and getting my thoughts and how I felt about myself in order. And once I started getting that in order, then other things started to fall into place because once you started, once you start treating yourself better, you start recognizing things that are not consistent with that. And so then you start addressing those things. And that's really the one thing that changed for me. Interesting. It is interesting because so many people start with the physical side, but it sounds like you started with the mental, spiritual, and emotional first, and then it's pulled over. Yes. So Look, you're trained in Western medicine, and there's often a lot of differences between Western medicine and holistic health in terms of the bigger picture, in terms of treatments. And so how do you think about the blend of science and spirituality and holistic and kind of where they come together in a way that's effective for people who want to get better or just want to feel great? Right. And I, and I think you said it is, is understanding that they're not separate things. I think ultimately how we have always approached these things is that they're separate. Like for example, Western medicine is separate from spirituality is separate from it. None is, it's not separate. All of it intertwines to really kind of make us who we are. So, so for me, part of the journey that I have with anyone counseling or any of my patients or anyone, part of the journey that I have with them is sort of understanding that you're able to really take the best of everything that works for you. So for example, if I have somebody with their major concern is, for example, their blood pressure and it's 240 over something crazy, then ultimately what we want to do is get that down because if you are not here, I can't help you. So that's where traditional Western medicine comes in. It's very effective at doing that. But I always say, are we then, is, is, what is that a symptom of? Like what's actually happening? And that's where we start exploring all of that. Is it the fact that is it the fact that maybe anything in your lifestyle is not supportive of that? Is it the fact that how you feel about yourself is, is creating that? So I really want to 
my passion is just like creating a place where all of that just comes together in a non-judgmental way and understanding that one does not replace the other. You cannot ex replace like eggs for flour. It just doesn't work. One thing doesn't replace the other thing. So it's using those things in the right proportion for you specifically to then help you to achieve what it is that you're wanting to achieve. So ultimately for me, a place where all of that comes together and I definitely like the word spirituality because it looks so different uh, for everyone. So there's just no judgment. It's a place where you know that you are accepted and loved and who you are is more than enough to be able to move forward to your goals. So you mentioned extraordinarily high blood pressure and there is a absolute direct link. No, no doctor will dispute this between high blood pressure and stress. Yes. And so given the negative impact stress has on our body and we're living in a stressful time right now, m many consider to be an epidemic. Like how do you think about stress and the role it's playing right now in people's overall health and well-being, given what's going on in the world? Well, it would be hard to say it's not playing a significant role given the past, I don't know, we can say many years, but definitely amplified within the past year and a half or so. And to ignore that, uh, I'm seeing a trend towards people recognizing uh, that mental health plays a little bit more of a role in physical health. I mean, it's kind of crazy that we would have to say that. But, but we do have to say that because it plays a role in physical health and, and stress in and of itself does a whole crazy biochemical change in, in the body from changing the makeup of the bacteria in the gut to totally changing the neurochemistry and the way the sympathetic and the passive, all of that, it does all of that. So ultimately, if we're treating all of these things and we're not looking at the major, uh, a major contributor, what are we hoping to accomplish besides keep adding things onto it in an attempt to correct the problem, but not really fixing it. So if the foundation is not good, then what are we doing? So ultimately I'm hoping to see more things come into play that really acknowledge that there are some stressors that really need to be addressed on more of a, a global, governmental, systemic infrastructure type way. And also, I don't know if you can agree with this, but I think this all of this really needs to start very early. We teach a lot of things to our children. A lot of them are not relevant and we'll never use them again. But basic life skills and, and basic real conversations and teaching our kids you know, how to kind of navigate through stress and creating systems that doesn't place such an undue burden of stress. I mean, I've talked about the many disparities that create stress among a variety of groups. And this is, it's important if we're talking about health and this has become a conversation secondary to the pandemic and numerous things. If we're really wanting to change that, we have to address stress on a bigger level that we're currently doing it because Everybody said, yeah, yeah, stress, sure, stress makes you sick, but nobody's acting like it does. You know what I mean? Saying it and actually doing things to, to say, listen, I, I understand the importance of this. Let's start having this conversation about how to really change that.
So for many people, reducing stress isn't uh, a pragmatic option because of what they do in their life and, and, and their work. But I always say managing stress, everyone, stress doesn't go away, yes. but you can learn how to manage it. So I'm curious, what do you do when you're stressed out, when you're having a bad day? What are your go-to practices? My go-to practices. One of the first things I do is, if at all possible, I temporarily kind of remove myself from the situation. And what always initially steadies me is my breath. Because the thing that I have noticed like pretty much throughout my life is that, and, and most people may, have, may identify with this, is that when I finally recognize that things are overwhelming me, my chest is so tight and I'm barely breathing, and you're in that tense fight or flight response and your body's just responding to that. So ultimately, I do things to try to break that cycle. And so my immediate thing to do is to do some breathing exercises. That's my immediate thing to do. And if, if at all possible at that point, I also, things I like to do, I like to exercise. I like to do that. And meditation and breathing exercises. I like to bring a sense of calm to me so then I can get some clarity and what are some steps that I need to take. So what are your other non-negotiables beyond your bad day that no matter, no matter if you're feeling great, no matter what day of the week it is, these are your non-negotiables or healthy habits, if you will, that, that you practice all the time? Non-negotiables for me is that when I get up in the morning, I have to start the day right. And by that, I mean, I have to start the day in a place of just having a calm mindset. So I will take some time and sometimes it's short. Sometimes it might be five minutes because my day's already gotten ahead of me. And sometimes it might be a little bit longer than that. So I do like to do some, some meditative things. And sometimes to me, that's actually meditating. And sometimes it is a, a form of yoga that I do to kind of help me get me centered. And then I establish the things in the day that I wake up and I think about, okay, Let's talk about things that make me feel good, that I'm grateful for, just getting myself in that mindset. Because when you start the day off in a really bad mood, it tends to just kind of roll downhill from there. And your responses are usually not what you want them to be. So that's a non-negotiable for me. And of course, my green tea with my lemon, it's a non-negotiable to start the day. <laughs> so you mentioned your history, you know, working in the ER, 16 hour shifts. There are a lot of people who just have insane schedules. And we all been down this path where work or, or life just doesn't really give you the time you need. And then your well-being practice starts to slip. And so what any tips for someone who's just in that situation where, hey, they say, I don't have time, whether it's kids, work, life, what have you. What's the secret to staying healthy when you have an insane schedule? Well, the secret to that is understanding that it's not optional. And so here's what happens when things get crazy. One of the first things we tend to get rid of to make room are the things that help us to really stay centered and feel better and just be just better people and better at what we do. And so we consider those things optional. We don't consider brushing our teeth optional. That's not optional. Showering, that's not optional. No matter how busy you are, you're gonna take time to do that. So it's understanding that it's not optional. It is part of your health routine. And so ultimately what you wanna do is be, just develop a consistent um, time that you, you, you do that. 
And when you are ready to start the day, you brush your teeth. Okay, great. Then when is it that you want to be able to have part of that de-stressing? Throughout that day, you need to schedule some time for you. And you, if you have to look at your schedule a week ahead of time and put it in your schedule, say at 12.30, I will be taking 10 minutes to relax. If that means going in my car and eating my sandwich there or listening to some meditative music, whatever that means, that needs to be scheduled in your day because understanding that that, in order for you to be healthy, scheduling time to de-stress is not optional. Yeah, it's for me, what works is what, what I like to call, or a lot of people call micro moments. And so, you know, what I found years ago, so I had a life-changing experience with yoga, it changed my life. And I, I would go to yoga, like to every public class in New York City, like every day. And that's to get on the subway, 10, 15 minutes, class be an hour and a half and 15 minutes back. And then as things started to get busier with work and then soon we had kids, it's like, I never went to class. It was just, I, I never had two hours. It just wasn't going to happen. And so what I've evolved to is just understanding how much I work and what's what are the demands with having two little kids in a family. I just incorporate everything in my day. So I take, I hate elevators, which helps, but like I take the stairs all the time. So like stairs, so I'm getting my steps, I'm getting stairs, like I'm getting my heart rate going, try to practice breath work whenever I can, like just holding the exhale. If I do yoga, it's like five minutes and it's on the weekends. If I do some straight training, it's five to 10 minutes. And like, I never, it's just part of the lifestyle. You always have a couple of minutes here and there and you don't have to. And so for me, that's just been game changing. So in terms of physical health, moving our, our bodies, How's your perspective changed since COVID? Well, I think it has strengthened my perspective a little bit because I feel that it's really brought to life that our baseline health is really is really important and we really need to pay attention to that. So when these things um, come up, then we already have a strategy that we're doing. And it is also obviously pointed out to me a lot of flaws in the system, et cetera, like it has to everybody. But on an individual basis, what I feel is that we always think that we have time for our health at a later time. Like, for example, I've definitely heard a lot of my patients would initially say, listen, this is the time for me to build my career, et cetera, et cetera. I'll have time to take care of myself later. Well, actually, later, that's when your health really starts careening out of control. And if you're not really learning how to manage that right now, then all of the things that you're doing currently, you you have to ask yourself, how present are you really with 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 those things. So in terms of has it changed my perspective on physical health, I've always considered health to be a combination of everything. And so it hasn't changed it. I think it's just really made it more important for me. So it's I just really kind of reinforced for me how important health is. Because my dad died recently and in the past week. Oh, I'm past so sorry. Two weeks. And so with him, his health, we've always had this relationship in bad relationship with his health because I really felt that he was definitely one of those who felt that he had 
all the time in the world and to kind of manage his health. And he didn't. So ultimately, what I want to say to everyone is that take care of yourself now, because I know we hear this health as well, health as well, and everybody's like, yeah, I've heard that but before, but it's so important that how you, it's important to how you feel and how you think and how you interact with other people. And even if you want to go out there and save the world, you have to do it from a place that feels loving to the world. And you can't do that if you're not healthy. Sure. And I think, first of all, I'm sorry to hear about your father to bring it back to physical health and stress. So my father passed away. It's got, it's been 25 years, 26 years from a heart attack at age 47. And Physically, he looked great. He, I know he looked in the mirror and said, I look great. And he felt great. And he worked out all the time. And, and But probably didn't eat as well as he probably ate a lot more red meat than he should have, given he had some cardiovascular issues, was stressed out of his mind. And so I look back at his passing, and I, I think his body played a little bit of a trick on him. And I think a lot of people look in the mirror and say, oh, I feel I look great. But, you know, stress can tear you apart and you can't ignore again the mental physical spiritual emotional environmental physical is just one component yes it is just um, one component and so i'm thinking about the the spiritual and the emotional and the mental and i, I think about the importance of relationships and real meaningful connection i think that's come to light in the past year or so individually and then collectively and so can you talk about the power of, of meaningful connection in, in terms of how it affects our, our health and well-being? Yes, well, there are so many studies right now that we have that reinforces that having meaningful relationships can be so important for health. I know many people call that like a, a a soft risk factor, but it's turning out that this soft risk factor actually has more of an impact on longevity and quality of life than we initially gave it credit for, because it really does help us to manage what we've been talking about a, a lot. It helps us to manage our stress more. It helps us to feel that it's being shared. It, it helps us to feel loved. It, it helps us to feel that that we also have someone to take care of. It, it, so it, it really provides so many of those things like a gratitude and feeling loved and being hugged and being supported. All of those things really go make a significant difference on a quality of life and our quantity of life. So relationships are important. We've seen also studies that show that poor relationships also have a negative impact as well and that women do much more poorly in in poor relationships but they really tend to manage stress a lot better when they have stronger relationships and relationships where they feel supported so this is not about quantity friends and quantity of relationships because i'm often asked like how many friends like is enough and it's it's not really about how many it's like what is the quality of the relationship with your significant other with your friends, with your children, all of those things, they're such a, a big part of your life. And, and we know that loneliness also is a huge risk factor. And we've seen that this year. It's a huge risk factor 
for cardiovascular disease is a huge risk factor for dying sooner than you're supposed to premature, prematurely dying. It's a risk factor for all of those things. So it's something that we really need to consider as part of our healthy process. So when we're starting on this wellness health journey, again, it's not there is not a, a pill that's going to compensate for that part. So it's part of your journey and it really is important to take some time to kind of look around and assess your relationships and assess how nourishing they are to you, how supportive they are to you, how toxic they may be to you because that part is also a huge part of the puzzle. Yeah, agreed. And one of my you know, favorite scary statistics, if you will, or sound bites around loneliness, it's being lonely is the equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Yes. Scary. Catch, it catches your attention. It does. Um, so, you know, if you think about this year, I think a lot of people are they're looking for connection. They're looking for meaning and, and the big P word purpose. So many people are, are looking at this past year as a reset and they're looking for purpose. So can you talk a little bit about holistic health and how it ladders up to ultimately unlocking our potential and fulfilling our purpose? Ah, yes, the big P word, because actually studies also show that having purpose does help us to live a longer and better quality life. But if I think holistic health actually incorporates purpose and when you're looking at what your journey is and pursuing this, the passion and finding your purpose and really delving into that, I always say, don't you want to be able to do it as your best self? And while that may look different for everyone, I think ultimately what we want to do is just to have purpose, you got to start with with you, right? So how are you pursuing purpose if you're not the best, if, if you're not at your best potential? It's like if you're weak and you're tired and you're not sleeping and you're not taking care of yourself and anything that you are trying to accomplish, there'll be people, you know, if you say, I don't know, are they really? Because I'm not really sure I can believe what you're saying because you're not really taking care of yourself properly. So holistic health is important in and. It's not just, here's what I want to clarify. Many people think that when I say holistic health, they think of, okay, so like what herb should I take or like what supplement should I take? And that's not at all, or I don't want to take this medicine. And so therefore that's holistic health. I think if, if you're thinking that's not the whole point of the discussion at all, the whole point of the discussion is understanding that everything you do contributes to your wellness and contributes to your purpose. So finding purpose is including is included in holistic health and being healthy helps you to really put your best foot forward into that purpose. So th there's a lot of exciting science and research happening. I think it's an exciting time to, to be in, in the wellness world. Is there any specific science or research you're paying attention to you think is interesting? And what do you think we're going to be talking about a, a year or so from now in the space? What I'm paying attention to right now is the science on dementia, brain health, Alzheimer's, because ultimately, as we get older and we're getting into that space, I think the biggest concern with many people is 
kind of losing clarity. I, I know there are a few of my friends right now who are experiencing that with their parents, and there's a big concern about that. And I, I'm really paying very close attention to the studies on, on lifestyle and reduction in risk of Alzheimer's, for example. In fact, I think it's the only thing right now that we can say for sure that significantly can reduce risk. There are several studies that have come out recently with that. We're kind of, it actually may change the damaging proteins that we're talking about in, in the brain and, 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 and reduce it. And I would love to understand in my mind, like how the biochemistry uh, behind that, because I think as we get older, we really want to be able to be present fully this is not about just living to be 90 or 100 or whatever the dream age is for you is be able to do that do it well do it with clarity being able to still identify with your purpose that doesn't go away because you're getting older it actually gets stronger and more intensified so i'm looking the studies that really are capturing my attention the the, the neurochemical studies and the studies on alzheimer's and, and lifestyle so are there any early takeaways, if you will, on some of those uh, studies on cognitive decline? Yes. The big takeaways is that there are certain lifestyle things that have been identified, and we, we know what they are, but I'm going to repeat them anyway, is exercising or just keep moving. The Mediterranean diet or the mind diet has been particularly associated with that as well. And stress reduction has been particularly associated. There was a study that was done with stress that actually showed that it increases the tau proteins, one of those proteins that present in, in Alzheimer's disease and thought and really taught to create a lot of the damaging things that happens and create the brain atrophy. So those things that we've been talking about that contributes to just whole, just health in, in general, they also contribute to brain health. So we have to stop separating the organs because what's good for one tend to be good for the other. And lifestyle has a much bigger impact than we think it does. So what, can you repeat, what was that protein? Uh, the tau, TAU. TAU, and that contributes to Alzheimer's. Yes. So the two major ones were like the amyloid and the tau. There was initially a lot of focus on the amyloid protein. Uh, now we're focusing on the tau protein because that, that seems to be the one that's... Now we're thinking, okay, that's the protein that we need to focus on to get to a place where we can have more effective um, interventions. But as of right now, the interventions that really we can stand behind are lifestyle ones. And starting to show that there's a neuro neurochemical things that actually happens on, on brain scans with lifestyle is to me super fascinating. Interesting. Are there any early insights on what drives that protein yet or inconclusive? We don't there know. are some. They're looking at certain other uh, proteins that when they're low, then it allows that to go, that particular protein to get out of control. And they'll, they're, because it, it has something to do with the way that how tightly wound around the histones, the DNA are. Uh, and so they're not being able to translate properly. And so all of this is everybody's always cautious to say, listen, this is very early, but it's exciting to think that maybe we're, we're starting to really be able to understand what's happening. 
It is exciting and, and, a, and cognitive decline is very scary because again, it's not just about lifespan, it's about health span. What's, no one wants to live to the ripe old age of 90 or 100 and, and, and not be functioning at a high cognitive level or not being able to move or et cetera. So in closing, you know, if you could go back in time when you were 90 pounds overweight and on your journey, and if you go back to that person at that time and give yourself advice, what advice would that be? Mm. Well, I would give that person at that time, at the beginning of that journey and let them know, listen, it's going to be okay. You are in the right place. The key thing that I want to say to you in this journey, be kinder to yourself earlier. It really does make a difference. Amen. Eugene, thank you so much. Thank you.